Turn your Bible, please, to the book of Proverbs, chapter 10. Proverbs, chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. Proverbs, chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. And listen to this scripture. The Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Treasuries of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivereth from death. The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but he casteth away the substance of the wicked. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in the harvest is a son that causeth shame. Now I want you to think about those words for a moment. Remember that Proverbs, a collection of pithy little statements that would be true whether they were in context or out of context. These are often called the Proverbs of Solomon. And the Bible says itself that Solomon was a wise, wise man. He dreamed a dream one night and he said, Lord, uh, there's some request I want to make. And the Lord said, well, Solomon, whatever your request is, I'll grant it to you. And so there was silence for a moment. Then Solomon said, Lord, I want wisdom Man. to know how to direct your people. Man. And the Lord said, now, Solomon, if you'd asked for wealth, I would have given it to you. If you'd asked for riches, if you'd asked for authority, I would have given it to you. But you've asked a wonderful thing. And I'm going to make you wise. And Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived for a long time, as long as he kept his eyes on the Lord. And Solomon himself wrote, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He might have added a PS. And when you take your eyes off the Lord, you have no more wisdom. He ended his life with a thousand wives and concubines, and the kingdom was torn from him at his death, with Rehoboam and Jeroboam dividing the kingdom, and Israel never had the splendor it once had. Reason? They took their eyes off the Lord. Man. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this scripture says much about wisdom. The Bible has a lot to say about wisdom. He that winneth souls is wise. Daniel 12, 3, they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And he that turneth many righteous, they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. And he that gathereth in summer is a wise son. I want to ask Cleo Butler to help me preach a moment or two. Cleo, would you bring me all those farming utensils over here? Uh, bring them to me a little bit at a time. You know, the Bible says he that soweth reapeth. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. If you sow corn, you'll reap corn. If you sow beans, you'll reap beans. Thank you, Brother, Brother Cleo. And I think there's one or two more things over there. Now, these are instruments that we use to uh, get ready to harvest. First of all, you need, uh, if you're just gardening, you probably, maybe all the modern techniques have tractors that break up the ground in the garden, but this is the way you used to do it. You know, you shovel, 
and you'd break the ground up and you'd work at it and then you'd come along and chop out the weeds with either a hoe or a chopper and then you'd come along and all along the garden you'd you'd get the weed get rid of the weeds with a sickle and then you'd come along again and again and you'd rake and rake and so on you'd get the ground all ready now this scripture says he that gathereth in summer is a wise son. What does it mean to gather in the summer? Well, first of all, it means to get things ready in the summer for the fall. In the earlier years of our country, everybody had a garden. There's, how many of you have a garden still? Lift your hands. Well, there are quite a master's minority here this morning that have gardens. And you know that early in the spring, you break up things and you break up the ground and you get things ready. And, and at the proper time, you sow and get things all ready. And then what do you do? You go through the garden and you gather the fruit of the garden. You gather it. Some people just gobble it all down right then. Most wise people can what they raise in the garden so they have something for the fall. Sometimes they share it with other people, but they gather those things in the summer so that when fall and winter comes, they have something to eat. And this scripture takes off from that connotation. They that gather in summer are wise. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that does what? Look at the rest of that verse. But he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. Now there's nothing wrong with sleeping. We all need sleep. Most of us need more sleep than we get. But for us to just sleep through the harvest and sleep through the time when we can really accomplish something, there's a tide taken in the affairs of men which taken at the tide, at the high tide leads on to fortune. Omitted, all the rest of life is lived in the shallows. And this scripture is a reminder to individuals. It's a reminder to parents. It's a reminder to families. It's a reminder to churches. It's a reminder to a nation. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son. But he that sleepeth through the harvest is a son that causeth shame. This is the first Sunday of summer. We're entering a wonderful, wonderful time. And we need to consider what is God's plan for us. What does God want of us as individuals for not just the summer, but for the fall and the winter and the rest of life? Because today is the beginning of the rest of your life. And how we live on any one day affects the eternal destiny of somebody else. And what we do with our time, what we do with our talents, what we do with our life falls into the life of somebody else. Nobody lives in isolation. Even those who think they do, don't. In the dark ages, there were monks that went to the monasteries and they determined they wouldn't speak to anybody, they wouldn't say a thing. But even those monks left behind them some footprints. Most of them wrote. Most of them copied scriptures or they copied the early books of the church fathers. And the reason we have them today is because even those monks in isolation did something. They accomplished something. You and I dare not waste our time. 
We just have a little bit of time left. Can you imagine May already being gone? This is June. And when you turn around three times, June will be gone, then July. You turn around once, July will be gone, and then August, and school will begin again. And we'll be right back in the rat race all through the winter. This is summer. It is a good opportunity for us to take stock, to look into our lives, and to think, what is God's plan for us? The gathering of grapes, the gathering of the tomatoes, the gathering of the strawberries, the gathering of the blackberries if they've not already gone, the gathering of all of the fruits of the garden in order to have something for the fall and the winter. And you and I, as individuals and as a church and as Christians need to do that, need to remember that. Now in order for us to do this, we need to heed the words of Hosea. Turn your Bible to Hosea chapter 10 and beginning with verse nine, listen to what he says. O Israel, thou hast sinned from the days of Gibeah. There they stood in the battle in Gibeah against the children of iniquity did not overtake them. It is my desire that I should chastise them and the people shall be gathered against them when they shall bind themselves in their two furrows. And Ephraim is like a heifer that is taught and loveth to tread out the grain but I passed over upon her fair neck. I will make Ephraim to ride. Judah shall plow and Jacob shall break his clods. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Ye have plowed wickedness, ye have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because thou didst trust in thy way, in the multitude of thy mighty men. Now you think of this, what he is trying to say to us in this passage of scripture. We have been fed a lot of spiritual garbage. As Christians, as Americans, as individuals. Bill Bennett, in a speech recently said, current trends in out of wedlock births, crime, drug use, family decomposition, educational decline, as well as a host of other sociopathologicals are incom incompatible with the continuation of American society as we know it. If these things continue, the Republic as we know it will cease to be. The treads are dangerous and they are potentially catastrophic. This is the hard truth of our time. Now, if that could be said about America, and I'm nationalistic, and I'm an American, and I'm proud to salute the flag, and I'm patriotic, but I'll tell you, our patriotism has to go beyond our nationalism. It goes directly to God. And I love the Christian flag. I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands. One Savior, crucified, risen, and coming again. My pledge is to Him, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been taught some things that need to be changed. The boomer crowd, that is the baby boomers, as they're called, and I don't really like that expression. They came along after my time, but 
some of you are part of that crowd. Some of the leaders of this group have pushed upon us this thought, we will end poverty. There'll be no more poverty. That cost us nearly $4 trillion, but poverty has not ended and the number of the poor has not been reduced. A second promise, the promise of liberation from the traditional family, the old fogies, the old mores. The destruction of the family has been catastrophic. The Census Bureau estimates that only 39% of the children born in 1988 will live with both parents until their 18th birthday. That's way less than half. And then the promise of sexual freedom, free love turned out to come with hidden and terrible price, including divorce, abortion, and AIDS. The promise of pharmaceutical enlightenment, drug addiction failed to free the mind as drug guru Timothy Leary promised. It imprisoned the soul. The promise of progressive education. Students have found courses without assignments, lectures or grades. Truth is neither pursued nor recognized. The public schools are ghettos for the mind. The promise of unrestrained expression. One of the first laws of youth culture, so said one of the writers, sets the agenda. Please kids, by shocking their parents. The artistic advent threw off all the convention in an effort to redefine art itself, and thus you have nude pictures of Jesus upside down in a bottle of urine. And you and I help pay for it with our taxes. The promise of God's death None of the promises made by the 60s generation wrought as much destruction as this one. Activists and even some theologians sponsored an escape from traditional religion and morality in an attempt to create new values for a new generation. Abby Hoffman commented, God is dead and we did it for the kids. And now Abby is dead, but God still lives. And the people that swallowed that hook, line and sinker are a confused generation. And you and I have our task cut out. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in the harvest is a son that causeth shame. You and I need to consider ourselves as sons and daughters of God. We're not just citizens of a republic. As great as this nation is, if you've been saved, you're a citizen of heaven. For our citizenship is in heaven from whence we look for the coming of the great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we sang a while ago, how great thou art, I could sense an enthusiasm on the part of God's people. As the choir sang, how marvelous, the wonderful story of what Jesus has done for us. The whole place was charged with spiritual electricity. Now you and I need to go out of here with that same concern, that same excitement, that same concern and commitment, and get off the pouts from our faces. If you feel good, wonderful. If you feel bad, act like you feel good and go on anyway. Somebody said faith is going as far as you can by feeling and then faking the rest of the way.
I don't know how about that, but I know that discouragement breeds discouragement. Doubts take on other doubts. And when your face is all fallen and you look like you've swallowed prune juice or you've been baptized in lemonade without any sugar, you don't bless people, you hurt people. So you and I need to think, what does this scripture do for me? What does it mean? How does it apply to me? Well, first of all, we need to think through this question. What does it mean to gather in summer? What is it to gather in summer? We need to break up the fallow ground. Hosea said, sow yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and train and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed wickedness, you have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because thou didst trust in thy way in the multitude of thy mighty men. What is our trust in? What, what is our faith really in? Gershwin wrote, oh, what a beautiful morning, oh, what a beautiful day, oh, what a beautiful morning, everything's going my way. And as long as everything's going my way, I can smile and whistle and have a good time. When everything isn't going my way, I get defeated, I get discouraged. And instead of going on, because the spirit of Jesus abides in my heart and sowing righteousness to people, I sow grumbles, I sow complaints, I sow an upset spirit. It is time to break up the fallow ground in our hearts, that is to recognize we're not where we ought to be. We're not what we ought to be. We're not who we ought to be. God grant that we shall determine in our hearts to be somebody for God. To break up the fallow ground in such a way that we get defeat, we, we get uh, disenfranchised with where we are and we decide we want to go forward. We want to go on. The song says, onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. But I'll tell you, we, tomorrow's Normandy Day, D-Day. Our soldiers certainly wouldn't have won that battle and we wouldn't have invaded France and we wouldn't have defeated Germany and Hitler had our nation's troops gone about it like most of us as Christians go about it. Instead of standing on the promises, we sit on the premises. Instead of going forward with a mighty hand and victor in Christ, we just wander around in the wilderness. Some practical applications. We've been stealing from God. Every one of us in tithes and offerings. When Malachi brought that indictment to the people of God, they were shocked. They were horror stricken. What do you mean stealing from God? What do you mean we've been robbing? And Malachi said, you haven't been giving God his tithes. Now, if he'd come along through the place this morning and say, uh, every row I want to examine you. I'm going to look into your spiritual life. Have you been giving God his tithe? Did you make $100, do you give God 10 of it? If you make $1,000, do you give God 100 of it? 
If you have for years and years forgotten to give God his tithe, you're in debt. And you may seem to have the blessings of God, but one day you will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and God will require that at your mind and heart. We need to break up the fallow ground and recognize that we've been thieves, we've been robbers. Do you know that in this church, if every one of us would tithe his income and tithe the interest that comes to us from our stocks and bonds and tithe our bank accounts and tithe all the things that God has, all the blessings God has given us, there would never be another special offering. We already would have paid that property off because every one of us would be bringing in six to eight to ten thousand dollars every week to the treasury of the Lord. And instead of thinking about cutting some radio broadcasts, instead of saying, well, I'll tell you, we can't send these missionaries because we don't have the money, we would say, Lord, send us more missionaries. And we want to hold the, hold the hand of these men that go out and these women that go out. Years ago, we had a deacon in our church, E.L. Holmes. Some of you remember him. In a deacon's meeting back in the other building years ago, he said, fellas, I hope the time will come when Glendale Baptist Church will support its own missionaries and hold the line financially. And instead of being, instead of being cheats, we ought to say, bring them on. We ought to be serving, we ought to be supporting at least 100 missionaries or 200 missionaries, sending them out to declare the glorious gospel. We've had teams going to Texas and Mexico year after year after year, representing all of us. And when they come back and give these glowing reports of people being saved, we say, thank the Lord, praise God. But you know what they did? They took off work. They took off their vacation, paid their own way down there, and you and I didn't invest a penny. And we get the blessings. Do you ever think about that? It's because you've been stealing from God. You have not been giving God his tithes, his offerings. You say, well, I can't afford it. I think you've got a problem. You can't afford not to. Eventually, it becomes a problem in your own spiritual life. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son. Let's gather for the Lord our spiritual integrity and say, Lord, by the grace of God, I'm going to be what you want me to be. But not only in the area of tithes and offerings, but in the area of righteous living. Amen. Righteous living. I recognize that the church is a hospital for sinners. It is not a museum for saints. And when we come to this church, we confess that we have a need. We have a spiritual need that we're not where we ought to be. But for us to come week after week after week after week after week and sing our little ditties and play our little songs and play our little tunes and get up and sing praise God from whom all blessings flow and then go out there in a world that hates God more and more, is less and less friendly to God, and we use the world's vocabulary. 
We laugh at the world's jokes. We follow the world's customs and their standards. And when the world looks at us on the outside, they can't tell any difference. They don't say, hey, look, that person is different. Now, when there is someone a little bit different, they may make fun. They may laugh. Well, the most they could do is burn you at the stake. Are you willing for that? I asked a boy recently that had gotten saved, would you be willing to die for the Lord? He said, I don't know. That was a big thing to swallow for a little guy. But I want to tell you, when you pledge your life to Jesus Christ, if you're going to stand in the train of the apostles and disciples and the Christians through the ages who make a difference, you're not going to say, I wonder what time this church service will get over. Hope it gets over so I can be first in line at the cafeteria. You're going to say, preacher, take as much time as you need to get into our hearts so that we can see a mirror of ourselves. For the Word of God is a mirror. And when we use the vocabulary of the world and the standards of the world and we're like the world and the world, to the world we're a jolly good fellow. You know, I'm not sure it's a compliment for somebody to say, well, that guy doesn't have any enemies. If you stand for anything, you're going to have some enemies. In school, you'll have people that won't like you. They'll have, in the workplace, there'll be people that feel uncomfortable. They'll say, well, I don't understand. I, I, why does this guy do this and this and this? Why does he carry a Bible? Why does he study the Bible? Why does he go to church? Why does he, why does he not wear the kind of clothes that the rest of us wear? Dr. R.G. Lee has stood in this pulpit many times. He's in heaven now. He used to say, the man that preaches my funeral, if he stands up there and says, well, there lies dear old Dr. Lee. He didn't have an enemy in the world. He said, I'm going to ask God for the strength to kick that casket lid off and come out of there and say, that's a lie. That's a lie. Anybody that ever stands for anything has some enemies. And a man sometimes is known by who his enemies are. He that gathereth in summer, that is gathereth righteousness and is a godly man, a godly woman. Now, how about our church work? Brother Mickey stands up here every Sunday and tells us almost to the penny how much we still owe on this property. Somebody said, I wish he would quit talking like that. You know when he'll quit talking like that? When you and I dig down deep enough and pay it off. I don't know how much it is. It's signed not up there this morning. But I'd like to see us by August be able to put up there 185000 which means we shall have paid half of that big $370,000 in one year. Wouldn't you like that? How many think that would be good? Say amen. amen. Let's do it. Let's all do it. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son. That means we need to sacrifice every one of us. And then the joy of seeing people saved. There's going to, there are going to be some people that won't be here when, when winter comes. They'll just not be here. They'll be gone. You and I have the joy of lending our influence toward bringing people to Jesus Christ while there's still time. I wonder how many of us would be 
would say, Lord, make me part of the army that goes out to harvest, to reap the harvest, to bring them in. Bowling Green is filled with people who need Jesus. And I'm going to tell you the, the one secret to their life, just one secret, love. Love. Now, you can't keep on loving with a lot of, without a lot of prayer. And you can't hardly keep on loving without reading the Word of God, but love is the answer. I'm not talking about eros or phileo. I'm talking about God's love, just focused in. It's like a, a spotlight, and you focus in on that spotlight, and you put that person in a spotlight in your heart, and you love them to Jesus. That'll work when nothing else will. And sometimes that love brings tears. Sometimes heartache and hurt. We can love people to Jesus. And we can ask God, Lord, baptize me with the love of the Holy Spirit. So fill me with thy love that the beauty of Jesus will be seen in me. All of his passion and purity and that I'll be what he wants me to be. Now, if you're here today without Jesus, you've never received him. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in the harvest is a son that brings shame. If you sleep through the opportune time of giving your heart to Christ, first of all, it'll be a shame for you. You'll end up wasted years. Wasted years, what a tragedy. And then you'll cross a line one day when you'll no longer hear the tug of God at your heart. It may be soon, maybe late. And then you'll cross the other line beyond which nobody ever comes back and there's no second chance forever. I want to ask you today, first Sunday of summer, why don't you say, Lord, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to serve you. I want to live for you. I want Christ to be honored in my life. And I want to be what God wants me to be. Let's bow our heads in prayer, please. Every head bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. With our hearts humbled before God, <clears throat> what are you going to do with what you've just heard? Now, sometimes this can be settled by just being there in our, in our seats. We can settle it <clears throat> by making a quiet commitment to the Lord. As the Holy Spirit brings to our hearts the need, we can say, Lord, I want to yield to your need, to your call in my heart. You can do that. Or perhaps the Spirit of God is saying, no, you need to make a public commitment today. If you're not saved, you've never given your heart to Christ, you need to come out from where you are and take an open stand for Jesus. If you're already a Christian, is there some way God has dealt with your heart, something that you need to give to the Lord? Would you settle it today and say, Lord, I'll do it. If your membership is in some other church and God wants you at Glendale, would you say, Lord, I'll obey you. I want to be part of this fellowship. Our Father, we pray that the Spirit of God would move in victory and grace today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please.